0: Very privileged to introduce you all to Mohammed al Katani. He's now the managing director for SAP's business in Saudi Arabia. At the young age of 32, I believe he was, in fact, the youngest managing director of any SAP company at the time. And he describes the particular journey that he took when he had inherited um, a team of people working in Saudi Arabia, and looking at how he had to fast track his own personal development of leadership skills in that process in order to earn the trust of his team. The title of uh, Mohammed's project is leadership with a particular focus on uh, the role that coaching has in leadership and defining leadership. He was someone that I met during the early stages of his uh, Master's for Leading Sales Transformation Program, and absolutely delighted he's here to join us uh, for this podcast. Mohammed, first of all, I just have to say huge thanks for you joining this Sales Transformation Podcast. It's a complete um, uh, privilege for me to to actually have some time with students who've done such uh, remarkable research on their given topic and I'm very much looking forward to uh, the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Um, Mohammed, before we start, I wonder if you could, for the benefit of the listeners, just give a short background as to who you are and where you've come from as well. What's been your journey in your career to date? Oh,
1: perfect. Uh, my name is Mohammed Al Khotani. I work for SAP for the past 10 years. And prior to that, I was with the Cisco for about three years, total years of experience around, around 13. I have a computer engineering background, so I'm away from business. However, I ended up where I could combine, you know, business and my technical background and, and grow my career. Uh, basically, I started in SAP from an entry level and I worked as an account manager for the first year and a half. And then I moved to handle uh, as, a, as a leader for the energy sector across Saudi Arabia uh, for about three years and then four years handling Ariba across Middle East and whatever. For the past two years, I have been uh, promoted as the Managing Director for SAP in Saudi.
0: And I believe you're one of the youngest um, Managing Directors, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> during the transition, age was an issue. We know we're not sure that uh, uh, I could, I, I started, I was 34. The first leadership uh, position, yeah. I was, I was uh, 20, 26, 27, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a bit of a journey. Uh, luck helped me a bit. So at the beginning, I joined the SAP where we were 20 employees in Saudi. So I would say very early in the days before they uh, before they start. So basically, uh, it was a very interesting journey. I le- learned a lot on it. And, and to be honest, my age, since you brought it up, was the, the indication for me to uh, research more uh, around leadership.
0: Yes, it must have been uh, quite a challenge being promoted to that position at mm-hmm such a young age and knowing that particularly in the Saudi, well, maybe I'm mistaken is the Saudi cultural, which could be sort of hierarchical, perhaps a little. Um, you were probably managing people with more experience and perhaps older than yourself.
1: Uh, correct. And to be honest, uh, at the beginning, the team was shocked because you go to the energy sector where the average age in oil and gas companies above 48. So uh, people would not perceive you as, a, as the person who will show them the future and improve the roadmaps and innovation plans. Uh, also with the team. So a lot of the people, uh, sorry for the whole thought, uh, you know, who is this kid that they are bringing to, you know, managing us with, you know, 20 years plus experience. And uh, it, w- it was tough at the beginning. But, you know, cases prove trust. And I was able to, you know, gain the team's trust quickly. And we continued a very long journey together. So. Yeah,
0: Mohammed, that's fantastic. And you alluded earlier on to the fact that perhaps taking on board this kind of responsibility and position motivated you to want to research and to explore leadership as a broad yeah. topic, which yeah. is, I believe, the subject of your research. It's connected to leadership, isn't it? I know that you've got to focus on coaching in particular. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so leadership is such a broad topic but you were particularly interested i believe in the coaching dimension to leadership so i wonder if you could explain what what caught your interest in this particular topic
1: Uh, okay two topics an external factor and an internal factor when i got promoted as an at an early age i didn't like how people are trying to make me as a leader without uh, many details Uh, i believe the leadership school that measure, many of the leaders, I would say, are coming from the 80s, early 90s, where it was very tough, it was very telling, it was very coming from guidance rather than coaching. And to be honest, I wanted to prove that there is a, a potential that we can unleash if we move more towards coaching, uh, because this will give you know a, a bigger comfort zone for people to be who they are and get the best out of them, rather than following the traditional way of leadership. And that was the indicator. The second external factor was Simon Sinek. I'm a big fan of his perception in, in leadership, because for him, coaching is key in every discussion that he, he has and whenever he talks about leadership. And that was another factor where I said, look, this is something that is new in terms of a mentality to Middle East, especially Saudi Arabia. And I need to somehow action research, if I may say, part of my master's with the NSAP to prove in terms of not only uh, data gathering or or, uh, questionnaires, but rather than, you know, live cases where this can happen, can be repeated, and this unleashed potential can be seen in many occasions. That's why the research probably took more than it should but to be honest, it was worth the time and, and the efforts in order to make it as an engine where people can copy and learn and from and, and uh, take forward.
0: Yeah, I think it was really interesting in your case because you you were on the second if I remember, cohort that we ran of the master's programmes. And suddenly, not suddenly, but I think after the first year, you sort of took some time out. I don't know if you took some time out or whether you continued your research. You know, like you said, it took longer. But it was amazing to hear you come back onto the programme a bit later and um, and complete it. OK, so I think you've explained, you know, your topic and why you were concerned with it, and I'm intrigued also with the cultural dimension you've brought into it. The fact that you were in a way wanting to test a theory that perhaps wasn't prevalent um, in the environment in which you've been brought into um, yeah. and yet here you are actually very young taking on quite a responsible position and not only having to deal with that but wanting to shape your own theory of leadership practice, which I think is an amazingly entrepreneurial in a way. Got it. Yeah. I wonder if I could just spend a bit more time talking about the people that influenced you when you were early on in your journey, perhaps before you did the research, because I know that you've mentioned Simon Sinek as being Mm -hmm. someone that influenced you. Um, And I know that you had other influences or other literature that you were interested in pursuing. Um, I wonder if you can just talk us through a little bit um, some of the areas that you explored um, before you knuckle down to your own research.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, basically, the spark was a quote uh, that Simon once said, uh, which is, great leaders give everyone something to believe in, not something to do. So since then, I had always in my mind Results and goals shouldn't be set, uh, actions should not be set as goals, same as results. Those are basically uh, comes after uh, coaching people to believe in, in in a common objective. And this is how you can achieve m- many points with one single objective. So you can remove the walls between organization, you can unite team, you can have people think on the things that they want to do themselves, their way of doing them rather than just taking directions on actions that they have to uh, deliver on. And I could summarize three three areas where I, I took my my research on. The first one was on deliberate practice. The second one was mainly emotional intelligence. Uh, and the third one is uh, growth mindset. And each one of those has a story. So the deliberate practice is more a tangible things that people need to do and I gave examples in the, the research around sports for example and athletes and how if this is something given by nature then they they don't have to practice because they have it however if you look at any athletes they practice five to eight hours a, a day uh, Michael Jordan for example the best basketball player he used to finish a season second day he doesn't take risk he showed up at the stadium uh, to 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 practice and uh, this is something in their DNA to become Uh, greater and greater every season. Musicians as well. If you stop playing music, I don't know if you play film, but if you stop for quite uh, some time, then you cannot go back to the same level where you used to play before you stop. And the second, uh, so this is mainly taking care of the tangible part. Then we move to the growth mindset. Uh, And this is where you touch the deeper. uh, So practice, deliberate practice is the change, how you make it Uh, more structured and more detailed uh, oriented and then we move to the I would say new way of thinking which is the the growth mindset and here where you touch emotions and if you look at great leaders in any aspects be it religion be it sport business uh, all of them they have this this thing in common they can influence and touch the belief of people in in common objective and probably I touched based on that during the Ariba days where I stopped it took some time I wouldn't say off the program, but rather than evaluating the case and adding more use cases, because at the beginning, the research was, I didn't believe it had enough results to to, to end it in, in, in a good way. Ariba was like a startup in the Middle East. Nobody wanted to touch it. A procurement solution is something boring. You sell to procurement people, which is not a, a profession that they teach in university. Everybody ended in procurement by chance. Nobody planned to be a buyer when they grow up. So. It's a difficult environment to make it, you know, cool. And I built a team from scratch and it was very hard to bring people from different countries, different backgrounds. We had, I think, not less than 20, 25 nationalities, around 30, 40 team members where they literally care about each other's uh, KPIs um, because they believed in a bigger picture. Uh, Not thinking always that this, what this action adds to me rather than what it adds to the team. And the only way you could do this is basically touching the feeling and and have this Mm -hmm. growth mindset built in their brains every day, in every conversation, in every all-hands meeting, in every forecast call. It's always around it because that's where people start to sacrifice for each other. And that's when people start building strong bonds. They are united under one common goal and the magic happens, trust me. Marketing cares about sales, sales cares about pre-sales, pre-sales cares about consulting and so on because they have, you know, a dream that they all believe in. it can happen and they are working towards it. So no matter how the differences are, then uh, the other way I was referring to the 80s, 90s is coming back as a boss I can just ask people to do it, put a KPI, sit with them, performance reviews and trust me, it it can work but it's not a long-term plan. It's pressure. It makes not a lot of fun between the team uh, not a lot of a strong uh, bonds built where people would go have coffee together, have a drink together, uh, smoke a shisha together, you know, uh, play cards. Or If you reach to that, this, this is exactly uh, the level where I was talking about earlier, where you unleash the maximum potential of the organization. You can do it by fear, 70-60% uh, with some negative energy, negative vibe, some office politics or you can work towards the emotional part Have a growth mindset mind in every single person in the organization, and then unleash that maximum potential. The third one is around emotional intelligence. You cannot achieve the first two if you are not emotionally intelligent. I I touched best about it and and how the the five points that were written by Goldman, and and they're around self-awareness, motivation, empathy, uh, social skills. So uh, this is science. All of what I'm talking about is not, you can, I mean, this is yet a research, so people can argue or come back and say, you know, it has a bit of nature, it had a bit of given things, but I believe you can teach this coaching slash leadership style to people. You can spend time, spend effort, and make sure that they, you know, believe in this methodology. And this is why I'm talking about the third point, uh, which is the emotional intelligence, because... We, to be honest, we say we, we are good at it, but we lack it. Once and, and, and the situations where we have proven that we lack it is when things go south. We don't achieve our numbers or uh, then we become the real us where there is no empathy and we start putting people in performance improvement plans, start reducing the organization. We start, you know, taking some actions that nobody wants to take. If things are good everybody can say good stories but if things are bad nobody can say good stories because it's the pressure of performing that puts you under the situation where you want where you are taking decisions that you don't want to take unless you are very emotionally intelligent and you can unleash the maximum potential of an organization the way i explained it in the first two points so that's how i thought the flow would would go in the research and, uh, and then after i spoke about those influencing points as you as you saw You you said that I discussed about the use cases and they are from different years in my career. So as a managing director in Ariba and in the energy sector as well. So I I combined the, I would say six, seven years when I was a leader and took a case. I tried to take a case on every single one of them.
0: So before we go into the sort of research and the case studies that you share Uh in your, your project, I'd just like to dwell perhaps briefly on something that was struck me when I was reading your dissertation, which is you talk about uh, not just some of the academic um, work that has been done by people like Simon Sinek and Goldman and so on on intelli- emotional intelligence, um, but you also talk about Moneyball. And like you, I love that film. You know, it, it was just incredible how... But that was very much about numbers, wasn't it? And uh, different ways of looking at data. So on the one hand, you've got the sort of data-driven approach. And then on the other hand, you've got emotional intelligence and growth mindsets, which are more to do with psychology, I suppose, and and, and so on. If, if you were looking... If you were looking at those three sort of themes, when you went into your research, did you have a belief that any one of those was going to be more important than the others? Or did you go in with an open mind and you were just curious to see that they were all equally important or whether one was more, you know, emerged more prominent than the other?
1: Well, I, uh, to be honest, I went with uh, a very open, without any preference to any any side of it. I I also was trying to... uh, built on what Paul Devlin has done in his uh, scientific way of coaching. And Paul was my manager in Ariba, and we were talking, you know, experimenting our point of views on the team. So I went uh, across my research with an open mind without favoring any direction. And I genuinely wanted to see uh, what would be the outcome of all of the ways and a, a balanced combination, I believe, is the right way forward. And this is why I mentioned Moneyball. And it didn't only mention it because of the numbers, but because Billy Bean believed in something new. And this is how he triggered the whole uh, people around him towards a common goal. And he you know, was offered by 49ers, I think, I, I can't remember, uh, the highest salary in the history, without even achieving his goal, being the champion. But because he achieved some... Uh, records and number of wins and the way he acquired a player value for money kind of tactic, how he, can, he could live in conditions and change the condition around him. So I mentioned it because it has a scientific way in decision making, but in the same time, uh, also the belief and how he can he could influence people around him towards his goal in, in looking at things uh, uh, differently. And he saw the results. Uh, after all. He didn't attend games. He wasn't in the, in the field with a coach directing people. He, he he doesn't. He couldn't. He watched the film. He's the kind of person who would sit back, let people do their jobs and watch from behind uh, uh, when that belief, uh, belief happened. Some players, even when he offered them uh, some roles in the team, they didn't believe they can do them. But because of his scientific approach uh, created that that uh, kind of an environment where they could achieve something like
0: yeah, so it's an amazing story, and I, I like you. I love the way that people can reinvent how you look at information and data, and start to uh, sort of draw conclusions. And I know from the work that Paul Devlin did that you referred to earlier on about the impact that kind of had on le- leading and lagging indicators, in particular, yes. and and how he used that within Ariba. So it's wonderful to see how you've continued to explore some of those concepts that Paul did as well. Okay, so let's move on. So that's the background. And we've talked about these three different themes to your research. It's interesting, I hadn't appreciated till now, Mohammed, that you'd actually drawn as case studies people from different parts of your leadership over the years. I was very interested in in the story you talked about procurement, because you say that procurement is not a particularly sexy uh, sort of part of the business. I can understand the challenges of recruiting salespeople to sell procurement (laughs) solutions. I mean, that's like an oxymoron in a way, isn't it? But clearly you'd built a vision there. And what I particularly love about just one of your cases is how you found someone from the procurement industry and actually said, hey, what about considering sales? You know, I just thought I thought that was brilliant. Getting someone who understands how people buy, it's it's an obvious thing to do in some ways, but I just love the way that you took this individual and used your coaching approach to see if you can completely sort of give him a new aspect to life and a new career, which is what you did. I don't know if you want to start by talking about him as a sort of case studies, one of three that you described, or uh, but I just love I can,
1: uh, definitely. uh, He's a brilliant guy uh, that I met uh, through business as a customer, and I thought he has something different. And to be honest, at that time, a lot of people were telling me, people are born as salespeople, you know, and this is something you cannot give, it is by nature. And I didn't believe in it. I believe even this the people part in sales is psychology at end, and psychology is science so I always believe that with coaching you you can uh, teach sales and it was a challenge that I took different usually uh, if you're in a sales organization heavily depending on numbers and you want to go from here to there uh, you need to acquire the best sales people in the market that's the school of thought that we always have. You never think like money ball where you take a person probably uh, with, I would say, less salary than the number one sales guy in the field and in the country and you teach him sales uh, rather than take a sales guy and teach him what he, the two three sentences to say to a chief procurement officer when he wants to pitch a reba But I took the challenge because I wanted to prove uh, and research if it is really science to coach sales to announce sales a career candidate, or or it's easier to have a good sales person in teaching procurement. We all agree that the first, the second, the last one is easier to do. And I hire different sales people, different backgrounds. You give them the solution, three months, and they get it and they move on. But taking a guy who understands procurement very well uh, was 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 a challenge, as as you rightfully uh, said. Uh, I found. That guy, when he first joined, the best guy where executives listen to him. CFOs just love him. Uh, he's an accountant uh, background, accounting background, that did procurement, CPO, CFOs, they just love him. He knows their issues, you know, the collection, their payments, DPOs, and all of those KPIs. And he goes and he enjoys the discussion. But this is not getting me anywhere. We're not selling. You know. <laughs> A year later, I thought, to be honest with you, Phil, and, 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 and be very transparent for the sake of, uh, the success of the podcast, I thought I, didn't, I made a mistake. A year later, I was like, what did I do? And I think I was dreaming and I was about to really change my belief. And then until I discovered that he needed a, a, a wake-up call. So we sat after the first day and I was like, I don't think uh, this is working. I, I can tell you what you need to change, but I'm not going to tell you. I can coach you to achieve it. I can go through things, but don't wait for me to tell you how to do stuff because coming from a procurement background, they are used to issue this PO, issue this RFP, write it this way, get into the system, fill in those blanks, uh, press enter, it goes for approval, wait for the workflow. They are by nature used to taking instruction and they cannot function. It's not an area where you innovate and become creative. It's a PO that is needs to be issue RFP to be run, you have a matrix, that you need to compare and select a winner. So It's, it's very uh, structured, while sales is very creative in, in a way. So to get creativity back to an experienced guy in procurement with an accountant, good luck with that. So it was, he needed that wake up call. That he needs to throw, I don't want to say throw because he benefits from experience, but at least change a lot of factor in his previous experience, how he absorbed and how he approached people around him differently. And I, I use the word people because I'm referring to customers, partners, colleagues, technical team behind him in, in a very different way. You will not get people voluntarily helping you. You, need, you are a CEO of your accounts, your territory. You need to tell us and guide us towards the goal that you want to reach to, which is related to our bigger Ariba goal umbrella that we all believe in. And here we're, and I told them, look, I give you all my time. I'm happy every day if you need it. After five, six p.m., we spend three, four hours on the phone. I'm happy to have just a normal, no pressure, normal conversation with you to make sure that. So we we agreed to set it on weekly. Sometimes he needed bi-weekly. I used to review every single thing that he used to do in a question and answer way, and I I, I, I tried as much as possible not to tell, rather than ask, think, explore. In sometimes and be honest again with you, I had to tell him, guide him, where I see things are, you know, going to wrong that direction. I had to uh, bring the discussion back and then innovate again. It was tiring, but the result was phenomenal. The guy made it after the first year. He made it to Hawaii three years you in row uh, in the winners' circle, overachievement record. He's the best sales guy. He's promoted twice already in those three years. So it was a really outstanding performance. That we he was surprised and and when we sat together now. Years later, he said, "Man, when I remember the first day, I couldn't get the conversations we have now. I understand, understand the questions that you used to ask, understand the things that you, you were mentioning. Because, and I appreciate it because I know how must that been difficult with you to make me think uh, this way. It's not, it's not easy. It was it was tough." Mm.
0: So wonderful story, though. And so the trigger that changed his performance was this what realisation that he needed to change some of his mindset and to let go of things that he might have been used to in the past, Mm -hmm. coupled with the fact that you and he spent so much time together, you in a coaching role, guiding him through that transformation of him. And that is what's led to his phenomenal success. And I I suspect that, that sometimes people who make such a big change become evangelists a little bit of the approach that you've taken so I'm sure he's going to be like you a great believer in the power of coaching with his people because he's seen the benefit to him but what a great story you you had some other cases that you explored as well I was also intrigued with Raymond because with Raymond I think he was already in situ before you took on your role if I'm not mistaken correct And he had a very different sort of character, it seemed to me, much more around operations. And I just loved hearing you tell that story because it's not easy when you move into a role Hmm. and dealing with some of the historical relationships that existed. So perhaps you could talk through the Raymond story a bit.
1: Yeah, Raymond was actually the executive assistant for my predecessor in in the role. And when I came into the picture, he thought that he would, probably lose his job because usually people work with the people that they usually feel good together. I never had that approach. I try as much as possible to work with the organization I have, use the resources I have, promote within the organization, uh, make because this bring confidence in the company that this is a place to grow and not only to get a salary and, and uh, leave at the end of the month. So I sat with, uh, with him and I said, look, relax, we're, we're, we're good. And, and the first month, I saw an outstanding performance, from very proactive in more than what I need. So I sat with him. I asked about his background. Apparently, he was doing his master's degrees in uh, Singapore University, and he was uh, his background is business. So I, I told him, look, man, I think you can grow your career. I'm very comfortable, and don't get me wrong, but I believe that you're overqualified for the role, and probably uh, you need to think on where you could go next. He couldn't believe what I was saying. He, he, he thought I'm joking. He thought I'm, I'm trying to take him away. He didn't take me seriously. And then he said, look, I'm really good with numbers. So business ops, business operations would be an area of, of interest. So I started, then we started the journey of sitting together and, and giving time uh, to coach and unleash uh, the potential that I talked about earlier. And then I started to put some, get him to 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 set his own path in operations. What would he do different? What kind of objectives he wants to do? What how we can try? You know, in terms of tasks. Okay, this is the objective that you see. How we can reach it? What do you want? What do you need to do? And I leave him a week, two months. Sometimes he comes back with the results, and I see impressive stuff, Really impressive, outstanding. Until I took the move, so the lady that used to manage. Um, business operations, she moved to sales, and again, she wasn't really doing great in operations. And this year, we just finished the year, she made the two-winner circle Hawaii in sales. Fantastic. I couldn't talk, to her, I didn't talk about her because I didn't finish the research on her case, but she made the two-winner, she not only made the to winner She is the best account manager for Q4 last year for the combined target Yeah, She was the highest achievement. And then and, uh, Raymond, uh, starting an operation, he introduced uh, new models in, in, in business operations, we weren't the best, to be honest. I don't want to say the ranking was really, needs a lot of improvement, I would say. He went to his training. He came back with so many ideas. He just took me to the room. He said, I don't know what I, what I I'm not structured. I'm going to tell you everything that I've seen in in the past you know, couple of months, a couple of weeks in the training, but we have to do something different. I said, this is good. Let's, he takes a board and he just, we spent hours drawing stuff and up and down and he said then it was too much i told him man who is the best that you met between your colleagues in the training He said japan japan globally they're excellent in terms of business obviously the japanese mentality Mm -hmm. i said fine if we are number you know all the way down in the ranking we don't want to be number one we don't have to innovate let's copy number one i'm happy with number two as a (laughs) person So we identify he he could actually in the discussion identify three areas that we have to look at differently, which is around demand generation, deal qualification, and, and Q plus one, Q plus two reviews. So we introduced those three boards where we qualify, we demand generate well between marketing sales, pre-sales, the rest of the teams. And then we do the future reviews as we do the current quarter. So quarter plus one and current and results were unbelievable in every quarter. Across EMEA South, we are either number two or one or three in terms of excellence. He creates platforms and and stuff that EMEA South team and other countries copy and use, the way we evaluate performance, dashboards that we have, the way we evaluate business, look at different lines of businesses, potential areas to unleash, where it become really an engine of uh, volume business, not only big deals like Saudi Arabia's trademark in the past where... Mm -hmm. Rich oil, you know, one, two big big deals would make it in every year. We we had so many volume transactional business in the past two years. So he did great, and the predecessor did great as well. She did amazing in sales. But that's that's not mentioned in the research, but it was a yeah. great, great case as well.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And then there was the third case study. Was that Ibrahim? I may have got the names muddled
1: yeah. up a little Correct. bit.
0: But can you tell me about the Ibrahim story then and how uh, that influenced your findings on the research?
1: Yeah. Ibrahim is a very ambitious uh, leader, I would say, in, in, in Saudi. And he basically, uh, one of the young talent who joined the company in 2012, he, he, will, he comes from a technical background as a solution architect. Uh, and he joined this AP handling business analytics group. Of solutions he moved to sales where uh, based on advice when I saw him presenting and he had different presence and and uh, he needed some guidance to move from technical sales to towards owning a territory and achieving uh, sales and then when I joined as a managing director he was one of the account managers or, or the account directors in in, uh, in the country he comes up to me and said look I know there are many changes happening I want to you know progress in my career I smiled. I said, it, "It doesn't happen this way. It, need, it needs. It's a process. It, it's things that you need to do. It's things that you need to be comfortable with. It's a situation where you feel you're not doing a lot of mistakes in your current role. So you start giving rather than learning, and you get upgraded uh, to the second, promoted to the second role, and and vice and the engine continues. So you, that the learning scale would be higher than the giving scale." until you're comfortable and he said no i don't agree it's about time so i smiled i was like i like this i like when people have that kind of ambition and i said look i i'll, I'll do it and uh, but i wanted to give him a listen at the beginning so i left he comes back in a quarter he said look i think i made a mistake i think you're right is there any way i can go back to an account director i was like hell no you you're in it you take it all the way to the end and then take us, a take step us back. But we are, uh, we are in this together. Uh, whenever, the, the, uh, the, the way I, 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 he is kind of, uh, you know, he, he doesn't like a structured way of coaching. It's a bit different with the brain. He, he likes coaching whenever it's needed. So whenever he has something new that he wants to be coached. So for example, you have a meeting with a senior vice president in, in, in one of his, uh, his team's accounts. And he said, I need your help there because he's senior vice president. I need your help to fix it. I was like, no, that's your job. I'm happy to spend 20 hours with you going through every single scenario that how the, the meeting could potentially go, what are the options that you could tackle them and how the answers would be and how would you would be in the driving seat, not him. However, I'm not gonna do that job for you. And that was the way. Whenever he has an obstacle, managing performance, hiring, meeting with customers, I used to have that conversation. We dig deep in that specific situation. So it was mainly a situation kind of coaching, not uh, uh, process-oriented. And he's one of the successors that actually taking over from me now in the current transition. So in two years' time, he's even taking another step to be a second-line, not a first-line director, uh, taking care of, I would say, majority of the business in in Saudi and having managers reporting to him.
0: I think it's unusual to have people in a managing director role, which it, you know, sort of, so passionate about coaching. Perhaps for the reasons that you've alluded to earlier on. You know, it tends to be more a, you know, an authoritative kind of figure inside an organisation, giving demands and expecting people to. I, I sense a very different approach in from what you've been sharing you mentioned how many people you had working for sap when you first started as md how many people are in in the team now
1: well it it depends on what we count if we count consulting and everybody in saudi across all the verticals we're above 250 i believe about uh, 250 right yeah so it's a a big organization it's been fun to be honest i and i agree with you look uh, it's very hard to find time and this is advice i would give any leader to really give time, because the impact is not instant. We, we tend, by our nature, to be quick, especially in our period of time where everything is quick and accelerated. So we tend to tell, just get it done, do this one, two, three, I know it means, been have done that, and let's move on. Don't take the shortcut. Really spend time on, on people, because you don't know when the return will come back. You don't know, and I can tell you, many of the leaders I coach, and they were you know, helping me, I find them do stuff way better than me. And I, I'm not trying to say this. I, I have seen more qualified results than what I do today from the people I'm coaching. So this is what I'm trying to say is, unleashing the maximum potential is something that you can not imagine what could that be. It's even beyond what, 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 you, can, what you can think of. So uh, finding time, I agree, it's tough. Escalations, customers, calls, forecasts, they have to forecast, pressure of numbers, booking deals, signature ceremonies, announcements, meeting with executives, ministers, uh, governors. But really what what values the most is the time we give back to leaders and people to become uh, better.
0: Is that one of the key takeaways you've got from your kind of research about the importance of spending time with people? Yeah. Is there anything else? If you were looking at key takeaways, you've talked about deliberate practice and about emotional intelligence and about growth mindset as the three pillars of your kind of research investigation. Looking back on it now, what are the key takeaways that you could offer other listeners on this particular topic? What, what would they be?
1: Yeah. Uh, The the first one is is we should never forget how does it feel to be managed. And this is sound like a cliche. A lot of people say they talk about it. But when we get into the second step, we tend to forget how does it feel to be managed. So this is something that I think every leader should write uh, on a piece of paper in front of their desks to to keep reminding themselves about it. Giving time to others is key. And uh, building a genuine approach towards coaching is key. It's not a task. Coaching is not... Tick in a box. Coaching is a lifestyle. You wake up until you sleep, and you keep coaching people. And I learned this from, uh, you know, Prophet Muhammad saying, uh, I, "I don't mean to be religious in the conversation, mm, but the same is really important." One said he, uh, you know, every human when he's disconnected from life, and his life has ended, he's disconnected from everything except three things: a charity. A good son, uh, I would say, an education or a science or a book that he left to people to read. So those three things, and if you look at the three three things, it's all about how you build something behind you through having a a, a science or a coaching good son, meaning young generation, spending time in in, in genuinely in developing a better human around you uh, behind you. So if that genuine approach is taken i can guarantee results i can commit you know 100% that people will be shocked on what could come out of that out of the, and i'm even uh, researching now basketball team golden state warriors i'm not sure if you are following basketball but they got the champion championship 40 years later after the last championship and really the main if you look at them there are many success factors and you know, a lot of people research Business Insider and some other organizations. But if you look at the, one of the key uh, elements of success, they had a new coach who had never been a coach, by the way. He was a player, team manager, and his, his first coaching job, he got the championship, Stiff carr And how he positioned people, his relationship with his people, how he spent time in, 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 in coaching people, making them believe that they really can win a, you know, a championship, role uh, after 40 years. Now, why, why am I mentioning and researching this story? Because they didn't have one player, uh, a Michael Jordan, or a one that can carry a team. It was really a different team. Nobody expected them to win the championship. Most of the players were drafted around right, 9 or around 11 when they picked them from universities like Steve Curry or Clay Thompson. They weren't picked to be the best. The second reason, it, it they won a championship Times after it. So they reached the final match the season after, they learned from mistakes, then they won the championship the season after. So it was a kind of an engine uh, that proved that you know, coaching is scientific to unleash the potential from, from that organization. And, and Steve Car is the from the people I learned that coaching is not, is not a, a task, it's not a tick in a box. It's something that you really genuinely believe in and you have it as your own lifestyle coaching your kids your wife your partner your uh, colleagues at work your peers your reporters your managers sometimes indirectly q a and and the giving back impact of giving back is way way higher than just telling
0: Hmm. that's fantastic mohammed i just have to thank you so much for your time on the podcast, I think we've covered everything that we need to. I think it's uh, it's been so interesting hearing you tell your story with such passion. I can tell that it's something you truly believe in. And I'm looking forward to that book that you mentioned. I'm sure that's in progress somehow. But I just want to thank you very much for your time giving me your insights. It's been brilliant. I appreciate having
1: me, to be honest. And it's really a pleasure, always a pleasure. Whenever, you know, anyone... From listeners, if they have any question, you may share my contacts. I'll be more than happy
0: okay. to share
1: any of the stories, the experiences, and, and uh, go into similar conversations in the future. That's brilliant. Thank you. No, of course. Uh, w- it's always a pleasure. And thanks to you for, for having me, really. It's an honour.
0: What are your thoughts about coaching now, having listened to Muhammad's experience? What can you take away from it? I think what, for me, has been very interesting is is how he's, Approached coaching from a, a data-driven mindset, which is around the concept of deliberate practice, and also about about how emotional intelligence and growth mindsets have played a key part in defining what a great coach should be. What I found fascinating about Mohammed's stories is how he has based it on on a number of case studies where he's taken individuals either at a very young age wanting to ambitiously grow their career or whether he's taken someone who hasn't been in sales and transformed them into one of the top sales uh, performers or whether he's taken someone who has clearly a talent for sales operations and how they've through coaching, use that individual to help redefine how they approach the data driven analytics behind sales performance. Clearly, Mohammed has taken coaching into another level. For him, it's not just a function of leadership, but it's a philosophy, it's a mindset required for all top leaders to perform. Uh, the fact that he has been promoted so quickly is testament. To his theories working in practice. So, I hope Mohammed's story has demonstrated more about the impact that coaching can have on transforming sales performance. We've just launched a new program called Coaching for Sales Transformation. It's accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management, or the ILM. We truly believe that this program will make a huge impact on how your sales teams perform. Check out the show notes for more information and learn more about the program. Also in the show notes is a link to our mindset survey. We encourage you to take a look at the mindset survey and invest time in getting to know whether or not you have the key sales mindsets that customers have said that they want to see in salespeople. I think you'll enjoy the exercise.